Welcome to episode three of the Shelter in Place audio journal. I'm Lee Chazen. Normally I would be walking around my neighborhood or on a trail somewhere, but you know what? I wasn't getting the best audio quality, so I am trying something more uh, professional, I guess. I'm in a podcast booth with an actual professional microphone, so you should be able to hear the difference. Uh, We'll see if this works. Normally, hiking and moving around, getting exercise is uh, kind of a better way for me anyway to uh, get ideas going. Um, Instead, I'm kind of like trapped inside of what I kind of call a um, bathysphere because it looks like something that would be uh, dropped into the ocean. Um, It's pressurized and everything. It's probably a safe place to be right now, too, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, But anyway, we're going to get on with some thoughts and ideas and uh, see where where it takes us. We don't know. That's how creativity works, right? Is uh, you you merge things together and then the next thing you know, you have a, you're sitting in somebody's podcast booth or you're you're traveling uh, to China. Who knows? I I ended up doing that a couple years ago and uh, teaching in Chongqing. In 2018, little did I know that uh, two years later, um, a virus would would emanate from there. Um, did not know that. So, um, one of the things I've been thinking about is uh, the idea of, um, you know how we always have to have a format? Maybe that's just some, uh, that's something that our minds uh, naturally Uh, want to have is uh, something linear and logical like oh this is a show about um, footwear or or pants or uh, we like to talk about the weather or politics Um, instead I'm trying to kind of merge things together and uh, there was a great book in uh, came out around uh, 98 by E.O. Wilson called Consilience which kind of meant the jumbling together of things Um, It was a term used in the uh, 1800s, and um, it sounds strange to us now because nobody uses that word. But it also kind of refers to cross-pollination. So uh, my question, something I was thinking about the other day, was um, you know how, uh, like, there's a type of person, and then you become, you fall into that role when you take a certain job, like a physician, you don't know your your doctor as being someone who's also funny, or you don't know your doctor as being a cello player, you don't know your plumber as being um, maybe someone who reads, uh, you know, 17th century English literature, Um, and yet, and, and, and people are like, they're kind of afraid of even admitting that, oh, I'm a, I'm a cello player, but on the weekends, I'm an MMA fighter. And um, except, you know, you get things like chess boxing, which doesn't sound too safe, but it kind of has the spirit of what I'm talking about. I always thought there should be maybe like an Olympic Games or something where you have to uh, solve a puzzle uh, and then throw the javelin. Or you, um, I don't know, there's so many of these ideas. Uh, You know, you, you compose a piece of music and then you run... Uh, the 100 meters and then you um, 
you get in a debate on uh, anthropology or something. Um, so my, my question is, why can't a comedian also be a scientist? Or why can a politician uh, also not be a plumber or, a, like I said, a cello or an oboe player? To use just two weird examples. Uh, so moving on. Um, in the spirit of, like, which person are you kind of thing. Um, so so I did make an attempt at, at comedy, and when it wasn't going well, this was done before um, a group of students, by the way, at this uh, fundraiser. And I thought, hey, what a great opportunity for me to write up some jokes and try them in front of the audience. And then I quickly realized that it wasn't working, and so I kind of turned them into, like, public service announcements that, you know, these were just facts that I was reading to the audience, some information on a, on a three by five cards. It was that awkward. It's weird. I mean, so, so, I mean, imagine doing looking like right now, you know, there's no audience. <laughs> and so you have no idea if this is even working or if, even if it's a, intended to, because not everything has to, you know, get you a laugh. along now to a uh, true story, um, something that happened to me, and it kind of fits the theme of who we are in any given moment and what people's perceptions are of us because of that. Um, you know, like once somebody finds out, oh, you're this guy who tells jokes, then like everything you do next is, well, how can you do that new thing? You're this guy who, who tries to make everything funny. And, uh, Two real quick things on that. One is um, I did attempt to be funny at one point. Um, quick story, which is um, I went down to Los Angeles uh, to uh, help a friend move. And my car broke down. And uh, to, to raise money to get my car fixed, I ended up hanging out with this guy uh, who uh, cleaned departments. He was a friend of a friend, and so we cleaned departments. And uh, I was telling him some some stories which I thought were funny at the time uh which happened to be about dating and uh, they were like where dates went really badly um you know one of those stories was something about a woman who was yelling something in almost an empty coliseum at a basketball player uh we were on a date and she um she was yelling dead ball uh to the guy at the free throw line and and he could hear her directly because there were so few people in the stands uh, in the Coliseum there and uh, I, I had to tell her that uh, you know a dead ball doesn't mean anything in basketball but she was yelling it and then um, she continued yelling various things that didn't have anything to do with basketball and it got kind of embarrassing we came back from halftime and all the people who had been sitting around us were no longer sitting around us and I, I might have mentioned that fact, like, um, to, to make my point that, you know, we need to keep our voices down because this isn't going well. And uh, I think she ran up in the stands to kind of prove me wrong uh, and, and asked them why they moved seats. Really bad date. Didn't go well. It was like my second date with this person. So I was telling this to my friend. While I was in L.A., he said, oh, these are some good stories. They're kind of funny. 
we picked up um, the Hollywood Reporter, I think at the time, and looked in the back pages, and we found there were some auditions going on for a new TV show about people in their 20s who were, like, had dating horror stories. I pitched my idea. Well, I get down to the... Uh, um, well, so the producer, I talked to the producer. producer likes, likes some of these uh, bits. So invites me to come to um, Paramount Studios. And I went down there. And um, it was interesting. First, I walked into the wrong room and everyone was sitting around a, a, a long table with uh, laptop computers out. And I walked in. Uh, I think I was wearing at the time like a t-shirt and a blazer and had like a leather like daytimer or some like professional looking thing and everyone thought I was the producer and I I could have in that moment said all right let's see what you got so far let's start with you over there but I didn't do that I asked for directions to where I was supposed to be because you know I had this other opportunity so I walk in there and at the time I didn't know who these people were but it was uh, Carrot Top and Margaret Cho and they were on stage and the producer said, okay, you're, you're just gonna be in the audience and if we get to you, I'll point to you, you'd come walking down, like some uh, one of our producers will come get you, you'll get on stage, just sit in between Carrot Top and Margaret Cho or something and tell your stories. And that never happened, so, so I ended up going into teaching. In fact, I was in a, um, a at a party in Silver Lake and uh, I remember going, it was like a rooftop party, and everyone there was either like an actor, a writer, you know, a screenwriter, producer of some sort, and uh, their advice to me that day was, hey, Lee, you have a real job, you know, where you're a teacher. You should, um, you should go back to that. This place is kind of weird, meaning Hollywood. And so I took that advice and uh, ended up getting into teaching. So... Um, So that's where that story stops. So if we go back in time about four years before the story where I'm somehow at Paramount Studios auditioning to be on a show with Carrot Top and Margaret Cho, I strangely found myself in an equally bizarre set of circumstances, except this time I'm actually attempting to use my degree in political science. I had just finished working on a presidential campaign and a state assembly campaign. And um, and now I had this opportunity to uh, interview in a senator's office. I won't mention who this person was, uh, and maybe I'll put it in the notes, but it was strange, and it told me what working in politics might end up being like. And so... Everything was going fine and in the interview, and if I had done really super well, my job would have been to be the liaison for this senator so that when he or she arrived at the airport, 
Um, I would pick them up in a limo, brief them on the happenings in the area and in the state, and be kind of a liaison to uh, when they came back to the state from Washington. And at the time, uh, I didn't know too much about the scandal that was going on with the senator, but one of the questions was, if the senator were to do something uh, that you found objectionable, uh, uh, what would you do? And I paused for a second. I said, well, do I, do I get to ask, you know, what it was? <laughs> because if I don't know what it is, um, I, I would have to ask more questions like, well, is it something immoral? Is it a violation of the law? Uh, does it uh, endanger people, maybe people working in the country? And in that second, I didn't give the political answer. I gave the real answer, which is what I just got done doing here, which was to say um, I would need more information and I'd want to know more about this. But I didn't say I, I would like to know more about this so that I can spin it a certain way. But what I found out later is the correct answer is I'm here to serve the senator. I'm here for the senator, and whatever the senator needs, just let me know and I'll get that done. Okay, now we're going to transition into another area altogether, which is uh, music. And uh, there was something weird that I observed in a musical setting once. I was, so I play French horn and I was playing in a orchestra back when I was in college and I observed something weird. Uh, But it's, to this day, it's actually one of the coolest things that I've ever had the chance to, to see. And we kind of need more things like this in, in the world where you don't have to say anything, but you can kind of do this nonverbal thing and everyone will know that it's okay. Um, and why we don't do things like this is, is kind of beyond me. I think we maybe show things with our facial expressions or, you know, we do the thumbs up or the peace sign or whatever. But this one was altogether uh, different than those things. So there was this thing, and I don't know, because I haven't heard from other musicians out there, whether this is done in, in other orchestras or, or bands or musical groups, but it's this idea that, um, like, so if you play, you know, first of all, we're up on these risers in a rehearsal. And this would sometimes happen in the concert, too. You're up on the risers. Now, you can't clap your hands. If somebody plays really well, you know, you can't, uh, nobody gives the thumbs up like, ooh, you know, good, good job, Bill, you know, and put the thumbs up. Nobody does that. Nobody claps. Uh, you know, and you definitely can't do that in a concert because it's too, it, it just, you know, you've seen symphony concerts before, maybe. I don't know. But if you have, you don't see people moving around a whole lot or even showing many facial expressions. I always look for eyebrows. Uh, Certain horn players, well, they'll let you know how they feel. Just watch their eyebrows. But in this one case, and it happened a lot, you would play something. And if you played it well, if you played it well, uh, the musician sitting next to you or several... uh, 
people down from you will rub their foot on the riser, like just kind of a back and forth. Doesn't even hardly make any noise. Maybe a little bit of brushing sound, but it's to acknowledge you that that was really good. And so um, now I can't do that anywhere else. You don't do that in the office. You don't rub your foot on the on the ground. And you, um, I mean, there is no way other than that that I've ever seen where you can say, hey, that was really great, other than, like, now we send these emojis with people, you know, it looks like the, somebody's praying. I, I still don't know if that means I'm praying right now, or I'm praying for you, or I, I believe in you, or let's pray for this. I, <laughs> half the emojis don't make any sense. I usually just send the one with the, the boy, you know, with his hand up in the air. <laughs> like, I, I have a question. <laughs> so, um, that was odd and uh, something that would be cool to see more of. Okay, so this one also has to do with uh, people and, and perfectionism and, uh, you know, awkwardness, I guess, also between people and jealousy and envy and all these weird things that are not being spoken about. But um, I had mentioned before that I that I play French horn and um, I studied with this guy. I wasn't a music major, but I did study with this guy um, at, at uh, this was at Colorado State University, and he had been in the Denver Symphony and. I remember in uh, one of our lessons, he gave me, you know, this is the kind of thing where it's like, you're learning a lot more than just the music and, and how to play and, you know, about uh, musicianship, but you're also learning about people and and what to expect. And maybe this was the thing that kind of uh, made me realize that, uh, and, my, and my hat goes off, by the way, too, anybody who performs uh, music uh, professionally and who does that solely, you know, to the exclusion of anything else because the demands are so incredible. And um, I, I had learned, I mean, years ago, I think I, I read this article about the number of uh, professional musicians who are on some type of um, anti-anxiety medication because it's so stressful. Well, particularly like with French horn players, and I had learned this a while ago, that statistics would point to um, French horn players and I don't know if this is true now, but having the, the highest rate of heart attacks of any member of a symphony orchestra, I could be proven wrong. Now, I don't know. But a lot of that has to do with the back pressure. You've got this small uh, tube um, and, and a kind of a small aperture or whatever and a mouthpiece connected to that tube and two 23 feet of tubing on your horn. And there is a lot of back pressure, like all that oxygen or whatever built that, or the, um, would that be CO2? I, I don't know that's backing up into your lungs and um, and so that can cause um, maybe certain pressure on your heart I don't know but there's also uh, the horn is is uh, a difficult instrument because um, on the chromatic series the notes are so close together that the slightest uh, variation like in temperature or moisture on your lip or the amount of air that you inhaled will affect the sound coming out of your instrument. And so you can easily um, go from a one high note to the next high note 
and not be able to control it. Because like I said, those notes are so close together and the higher you go up in the range, the closer those notes get. And it's, it's kind of a scary thing. So much so that I remember like there was this one exposed solo in Dvorak, uh, New World Symphony that um, goes up to a high B natural and you just have to elegantly just hit that note. And um, I, would, I was like nervously like thinking how many pages I had to go in the music before I got to that section. And just anything I was playing up to that point, I was just doing, executing, because really on my mind, I was thinking, how much do I have left to hit that note? How much do I need to reserve, you know, my energy and my, my muscle tone? And, and I was just carefully monitoring all those things. Now, I was lucky, and I did hit that. But... Um, but if you don't, you're in trouble. And apparently, and I had heard this, and maybe I heard this from my, my instructor back then, is that you get three mistakes, anything more, and, and you're gone. Well, there was a horn player that this guy told me about who was um, playing first, or principal horn, in the Denver Symphony. And I think he was rubbing people the wrong way. Um, he was very demanding, like if you were tapping your feet, he would... He would get angry even put his foot over your foot because it irritated him but he was just very uh, demanding and very perfectionistic so much so that uh, one day I guess the second horn couldn't take this anymore and he took out an eyedropper and um, or he brought actually had the presence of mind or the the planning or the whatever you call that um, you know like I got to get even with this guy what's the word for that can't think of it at the moment but he brings like a a water, um, an eyedropper, and um, when the guy's not looking, um, he somehow either squirts it into the bell so that the next time the guy rotates his horn, moves his horn around, it's going to get into the into the tubing and it's going to create a popping sound, or maybe he stuck it in the guy's mouthpiece when he wasn't like on a break, or you know in, at the intermission. I don't know when this happened. But it did, it was just enough moisture in the horn to create a pop. And um, the guy was so uh, messed up by this because he was a perfectionist that um, I'm trying to remember how this ended exactly other than I know that he quit or he just said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Or maybe he knew that the guy was... um, sabotaging his horn and then how do you how do you move on in a relationship after that so yeah strange things uh, I don't think there was any foot rubbing on the the riser going on there but maybe that could have alleviated the whole thing about it for episode three. Thanks for joining me here today for pure randomness and non-linear thinking. Um, I would like to hear from you. So if you have ideas that came out of this, certainly you can um, go to my uh, SoundCloud channel and you can respond there. You can also go to glidercell.com 
uh, to read about some of the other things that I'm working on, or my blog, which is just called Right Brain World. Uh, it's rightbrainworld.blogspot.com. And um, I will talk to you soon.